podcast. <laughs> that that is staying in. That is staying in. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Pit Stop Podcast. Uh, I am Tyler Walzak. I am here with Jordan, and there is a very specific reason that you are hearing my voice and not Jordan's as usual, and that is because I have had to hold Jordan back for about a day now from um, what a lot of you or maybe few of you hopefully know, um, or, or sorry, don't know. After the race, where we had a podium of Verstappen, Hamilton, Norris, there were some disqualifications that came through about two hours after, and uh, Jordan's shaking his head now. I'm just going to, you know what? I'm just going to give you the mic. Go for it, buddy. So there's there's always a context, and there's always like a, 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 an order of events that lead to someone getting this frustrated when it comes to sports we all we've all been there right like our team our our, our driver in this situation performs arguably the best perf- like performance of the year for them maybe the best race lewis hamilton has had in two years right he has a chance to win the race he's leading the the grand prix for for times a bad decision by mercedes partway through in terms of how to pull him in how to pull him out there was a lot of question marks around the tires we will talk about that later i know we will because the sprint part of it affected that but the fact that he drove as well as he did we had a, a, an ending to this race where had the race been two laps longer he might have actually caught max verstappen he was closing in on him it was like shades of 2021 all over again everything was perfect we knew he wasn't going to win. Max was, Max wins them all. So fuck that. But he comes in in second. He's on the podium. And it's like the package that they bring to this race works. Checkmark. The development has been good. Checkmark. Lewis looks like the old Lewis Hamilton. Checkmark. I turn the TV off after a nice afternoon race because it's in Austin. Have a great <laughs> afternoon with my kid. Take him to swimming lessons. I'm on top of the world. And I am sitting there and I look at my phone and I swear to God, I thought I was being punked. I thought it was like a parody site. When I see Lewis Hamilton, Charles Leclerc disqualified. I don't like, I cannot believe it. And I'm like, this has to be something seriously wrong here. And I, I, I dig into it. All of a sudden we're, we're talking about like, like floorboards. We're talking about why tyler why is it always the good guys that these things happen to why can it never just once be max verstappen why can it never just once be be it it is always the good guys on their best days that this shit happens to it's bullshit so we'll get into it more but i'm just going to answer your questions now um or your question about that it's not an exact answer but the thing that concerns me is that so there was a mistake made by Mercedes in the middle of this race by not pitting Hamilton. He pitted four laps after they wanted to him to originally, um, just because they wanted to offset the tires. If they had pitted earlier, Hamilton probably would have won this race. Like if they pitted this two laps earlier, worse. it would only have gotten and worse. Then what would what would like this story would have been much bigger if they had to disqualify Hamilton after genuinely beating Max Verstappen with how dominant he's been all year, it imagine that, imagine that. And you're right. That would have been worse. That would have been worse, but let's, let's also not forget that we have four races left. And this is a guy who is fighting for number two in the driver's championship against an absolute and utterly useless Perez right now. This is the perfect result for him in Mercedes. And now it's off the board, zero points, zero points after this again, being in a position to win the race. This disqualification penalty is more damning 
than the penalty that Red Bull was given for a overspending. Times. A thousand times. And so just for again, Tyler, you're right. Some people may not even know what the hell we're talking yeah, about. This is everybody a little bit you, of detail. If you context. like us, turned off the race at the end of it and moved on, you wouldn't necessarily like if you're not dialed into Formula One because it's not like it's making TSN's news or whatever. They yeah. probably covered the race in the first Sports Center by the time this decision came out. The only thing I had heard prior to that was that like they were there was a a rumor going around that there was somebody who had complained about this the the condition of their uh of their the floor panel. So let's just talk about what that actually means. So on all of these Formula One cars, there are, um, you know, we've talked all season along about how they have these uh, like aerodynamically designed floors, right? But one thing that's been on these cars also for like, even before these, when we had the flat bottom cars is this wooden running board at the bottom of the carts, right down the center of the whole thing. And it, is basically uh, it's known as a skid block and it's basically a piece of wood that has on it several um, metal. They're actually titanium, like, like uh, pins basically. And the idea is that uh, to prevent teams from driving too close to the ground consistently, you have this thing that, that basically measures how much ground um, contact is made throughout the course of a race. Cause what they don't want is teams to develop their floor out of something that's so hard that even if they basically are running on the ground, which of course would create great, the greatest amount of downforce that they're not gaining an advantage that way. So these things were put in place to sort of like create a bit of a, of a, a, a limit there. And what happens is that the skid block, uh, is, is looked at after every race. And if the, if the measurement of the wood has basically been like shave down the same way you would with like a sander past a specific point you clearly had made we're making too much contact with the ground and therefore it's an automatic disqualification in the case of leclerc and mercedes or and lewis hamilton for mercedes this race their planks had too much wear on them now that's great but why is the bigger question here was that a condition of the track was that a condition of how the the actual race played out. We know this is one of the bumpiest tracks on the circuit. And it gets worse every year. And it gets worse every single year. The the skid plates or whatever on this track on almost every single car were ground right down. Clearly, these two cars suffered the most damage and they were the ones that were checked and therefore, you know, the disqualification happens. But again, this feels a lot like when we had the open, um, the, 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 um, the rear wing flap opening that was like a tenth of a millimeter too big the year that Red Bull called them out, right? In 2001, if you recall that. I yeah. think it was near this race too. It was near the end of the season. It was like all of a sudden there was a random spot check in the Mercedes garage. And oh, look at that. The, the, the gap is a little bit too big. It feels to me a lot like the minute Mercedes gets a little bit of that advantage, all of you know the same kind of finger pointing starts happening. Why is it, why, you know, why is not every driver being checked for this kind of thing why is that it, it just feels it's just oh it's just so frustrating well here's the thing that's most frustrating for me and you you are i can like i get to watch you as we record this and i can see your frustration i'm not a hamilton like a fan i i love hamilton but i'm not a fan of his when i like you know what i mean yeah. um but they only checked four cars yeah. and it was verstappen norris hamilton and leclerc and they say it's a random check that is bullshit because three of those people were on the podium. I don't know why you wouldn't have just automatically checked uh, signs who was fourth then at that point, just and just say, hey, we checked the top four. But the reasoning they say they only check four is because they 
um, FIA by when I say they, I mean, FIA said, well, we don't have time to check them all because they have to go to the next race. Bullshit. And that's the problem is you either check everybody because there's only 20 cars or hire more people to check things faster or do what they do in boxing. You check the weights three or four times leading up to the fight. And then as long as everybody's good at the beginning of the fight, it doesn't matter. So well, that's park for me. That's, that's exactly it. So that's the whole point. Park for me for park for me. If those cars were ruled hundred percent good to go and legal at the beginning of the race, even not, it's not even at the beginning of the race. It was after qualifying after qualifying on Friday, park for was set. So they had to race the sprint and the sprint shootout with park for into um, Sunday's grand prix. So these cars are the same and they've been the same for Saturday and Sunday when they're legal, like when they're determined legal at the beginning of the race, that should be it. It shouldn't be a three hour thing after we should not have to read randomly. Like some of our listeners might be hearing about this for the first time. And I, I don't blame them because why would you check F1 the day after the race, go to bed, like go to sleep. It's they interviewed everybody, which takes an hour. They do the champagne. They do the trophies. Then it's like half an hour of talking on the track to sum everything up. And you still don't get to this point yet where there's been disqualifications. And you're right. Like we're in Canada where F1's not really on the news all the time. So why would you know about this? Unless you checked, I checked this morning just to do prep for this show and for the preview for next week. And it came across and I was like, what the hell happened? And this would have been way worse and way more problematic if Hamilton won the race and they stripped him of it and Verstappen gets the win out of, out of default. So it makes him win his 14th out of 15 out of default would have been such like, that would have made me very angry. So can I, can I, uh, I'm going to throw even more salt in my own wound here, but this is, this is, this is where you get, you just start being like, shut up, just shut up, just shut up. <laughs> After this, apparently Max Verstappen in an interview today, acknowledges that he thinks the circuit of Americas in Austin is better suited to rally cars because the surface is so uneven and so bumpy. Well, if the best driver in the world, quote unquote, right now is telling you that the track is that bad, then what are we even talking about here? It's clearly not the car issue. This is clearly the result of this shitty track. I bet you those other cars had more damage to their, uh, to their floorboards than Alonzo didn't and it, Alonzo did not finish the race because his floorboard was damaged. Yeah. So and again, he never went just, off the track. Yeah. It, 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 it anyway, it just, it but, feels very odd to me that we're even here, but let's go back, Tyler. It's also, it's not even the worst track. Like the, some of the no. street courses are, are worse than this track. So I think yeah. I hate to say this, but because uh, I know you probably feel a little bit better knowing that Verstappen backed up the, the track problems. I don't feel he was also a it's huge just more bitch annoying. It's more annoying to me that if it, like clearly this isn't something that's unknown. This is clearly a problem. And that's why like you have to take for me at least like there have to be some concessions here made in terms of how these rules are applied based on those kind of circumstances. It's a bit like saying like you know I don't know what it's like saying. Fuck it. And also isn't this why they do those like in qualifying stuff why they bring cars in at random every once in a while to just do weight checks. Like, shouldn't they just sure like just do that with, it just doesn't make sense that you pick four when you could go to like, they only did 
like the top six guys, right? Yeah, the top five guys. They check it. And I get the, the idea. Five. But go down because I also Alonzo, Alonzo didn't finish the race because of his floorboard. So he should technically, I'm looking at him right now, Piastri and O'Connor behind him. He should technically, I know it means nothing, but be last place. Yeah. Yep. That should anyway, be a disqualification for him automatically. If let's this talk is what about, we're talking about. Let's talk about how we got here. So very busy weekend. And, and there were a lot of different pieces of that. We have another sprint weekend here. Uh, this was a track that you and I had discussed being excited about the sprint for. So yeah. let's go back to the beginning of it. Obviously, what 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 we're learning very quickly here with this new, and I think both of us would agree, kind of dumb sprint structure is that the biggest uh, sort of factor for the teams is that they end up with really one session to test out any new upgrades or get any tire information or anything like that because we're not running the traditional three uh, final practice sessions and getting all of that data. So we end up with teams like Aston Martin who bring a brand new package and really can't even kind of get it out of the shrink wrap before they're already into sort of race conditions. And it does affect a team like that. Now, there are teams that found some success, Mercedes among them, worth new upgrades and were able to sort of turn that to their advantage. But I guess the question is, like, have we not, and I feel like you and I have already, you know, kind of beat the dead horse on this, but it's like, have we not got to the point where, we can just acknowledge this attempt at a new sprint structure hasn't worked. Like it, it has way more negatives than positives at this point, as far as the entertainment part of it, in terms of how it affects the actual performance of the car, we've literally just done back to back sprint weekends and every single driver and every single team has come out of it saying, why are we doing this? Like nobody seems to like this. Well, especially now that we've had disqualifications and those teams are blaming um, not blaming, but making a large factor for it's because it's a sprint race. We're not allowed to work on the car for two days and we don't, the fuel levels are different. Everything's different. Plus the track it's, and the tires. it yeah. doesn't make sense to keep doing it. And if it's going to start affecting the grand prix and the overall sport, let's not like this, this is serious. This isn't just, a, it did not just affect the U S grand prix. It's affecting the entire season in the standings because Perez is now, he just gained 18 points on uh, Lewis Hamilton because Lewis Hamilton got disqualified and lost those 18 points. He's ahead by 36 now with four, four races to go instead of 18. Um, and you can't like your sprint race, which is just there for fans. It seems like at this point to get a shorter race fans, is not doing anything else. Fans like this. I don't know anymore. More entertaining before. The only sprint race that's been good. This year was the one Piastri one. And In that's Qatar, because someone, Qatar, yeah. Yeah. yeah because, I agree. Yeah. But the rest of them suck. And this one was probably the worst one of them all. Yeah. It was exciting for like the first five turns, the first lap. And then once everybody got into positions, that's it. That was done. Yeah. It was the most boring sprint. Yep. Do we it need to talk to any more about it? <laughs> it needs to be, I don't even think we do, but it needs to, we, we harp on this every time we have a sprint race. The on the next show, we talk about how it doesn't make sense to not have make it qualifying again. It just needs to that matter. That was exciting. Yeah, 100%. It needs to matter. Well, because again, like qualifying, we we skip right over qualifying. Qualifying happened on Friday. Like, yeah, what are we doing qualifying on Friday for a race on Sunday when we're going to have this little exhibition in the middle? Like, it's like it's like having, you know, the the two teams that are going to play in the Super Bowl go out and play like flag football the day before against yeah. each other, but with no points mattering and nothing else mattering. All it's going to do is affect team's chances of getting their cars damaged uh impacting the way that they work through strategy 
having to make decisions for that sprint that are really based on like data consumption and being able to like test out different parts of their car. I mean, I already harped on Aston Martin, but we got to a Grand Prix where Fernando Alonso, after two days of working through that car, decided it was in his best interest to start in the pit lane with the old cars package because he felt like he had no understanding of what the new car was capable of doing. That is antithetical to how this whole sport is structured around a a race weekend that is built to allow teams to continually develop their car through the season. That's the whole point here. Yes. We've only got four races left, but, but the information that they're getting every single weekend is critical, especially for a team like Aston Martin, who's had such a terrible second half of the year where they are already working towards next season. And what you've done now is again, I would understand the rationale of doing it if it was value added, but I don't see the value added as like, as a dedicated fan of the sport watches every single race weekend, admittedly doesn't watch every final practice fine, but if it's a competitive qualifying and or race, you have my full attention. And here I am watching this going, why am I wasting my time? Yeah. And it felt like a waste of time. Like I, I, I stopped. I, I write notes. As I watched qualifying and then in the sprint shootout, I was watching and I was just like, I don't, I had a bad feeling. And then during the sprint, I was like, I'm not ready. This is so boring. I like, yeah. just get, get me to the next day. Um, the only thing I'll say about qualifying is that because both Aston Martins were out in Q1, is that a win for Lance Stroll? I guess so. He just beat his teammate. Because his teammate and him both didn't make it out of Q1. Like, he just he doesn't have to be as embarrassed as he normally would be. That's the only but, thing I have to say about qualifying and <laughs> well also obviously Leclerc pole, yeah. We've come out of qualifying with question marks around track limits. So obviously Max Verstappen loses out on pole because of a track's limits, uh, a track limit um uh right. violation or whatever, right? And yeah. he the the track the lap his his qualifying lap time is deleted. He he drops back to I believe fifth or maybe sixth, and it gives an opportunity for Norris to start up on pole, which is great. But what's interesting about it is that it isn't that isn't you know we've seen that through the last couple of years, and they've certainly this season been much more strict about how they enforce track limits. But for the second race in a row, the track was actually altered after that to make it yeah. easier. Like last week, the concern was all about tire degradation and the fact that there was a curb that was actually causing damage and they didn't want that to jeopardize the driver's safety. I understood that. They even had to make the drivers go out and sort of test the track again to figure it out. This race, after they see how many drivers are struggling to stay on, I believe it was like turn 12 or something, they actually repaint the lines to make them wider because you're allowed to be on the white but not off the white. And in my mind, it's like, what, like, what are we doing here? That's, that's like saying, okay, you know, the NFL's looked at the data and this weekend, you know, there was a lot more incomplete passes because guys couldn't drag their back toe, uh, around the 30 yard line. So we've decided that between the 30 and the 20 yard line, we're going to widen the field by, you know, a quarter of an inch. And that'll just be just, just there just to make the game a little bit more exciting. Like what, what are we talking about here? There are lines and boundaries on every single circuit. If you want to change it, you do it outside of the season. You set it up so that the whole weekend again is competing under the same set of rules and guidelines. You don't change it after the qualifying that determines the order for the race has happened. Like, like for me at this point, I really do feel like the wheels are starting to come off for the FIA. I mean, you can't, you, 
it's almost like they're just catering to Verstappen and Red Bull at this point because his lap time would have counted if those if those were wider, if those lanes were wider already to begin with. So he doesn't keep it in, which it's the onus is on him to keep it yes. within the white lines. Norris was able to do it. Leclerc, who had pole, was able to do it. Um, but then they widen it because, oh, well, Verstappen can't get it done. So this is widen him out so that he can get it's his fast laps in. It, it's very strange. And it's happening a lot this year. I don't remember it happening. Like I don't even remember even talking about this and like deleted lap times as much as we have this year over the past four or five years. Yeah. Well, and as I said, like, I feel like they've certainly been enforcing it more this year, which was a controversial sort of thing earlier in the year. I recall there were a couple of races where like we were seeing a lot more black and white flags and things like that, but to change the, to change the actual boundaries of the racetrack, to change the lines midway through a weekend feels to me like completely antithetical to the idea of why you enforce the rule in the first place. Now I understood last weekend because it was a safety thing. They were sincerely concerned about the integrity of the tire. We didn't need unnecessary, you know, potential accidents. These guys are driving fast enough. There's enough other risks. If the track is unsafe, you fix it. That makes sense. Yes. No point was that the conversation this weekend. In fact, as we're now hearing, apparently the track was unsafe in other ways. And there was a lot of complaining about the actual condition of the track. It certainly wasn't the condition of the painted lines they were concerned about. Yeah. Um, did you just learn the word antithetical recently? Because you've used it twice in the last five minutes, and I have no idea what it means. I'm going to have to <laughs> no, Google it. I, yeah, well, okay. It could be our word <laughs> of the day. In context, I, I believe it's I, like in stark contrast, probably, but I have no idea what that word no, means. I, I, I've, I, I feel like I've known this word for a while, but I, I occasionally I do find that I get like sort of linguistically attached to a big word, like linguistically. Yeah. Yeah, so the definition of antithetical for you, I Googled it, is to direct, okay. it is directly opposed or contrasted, mutually okay. incompatible. That makes the sense. The way you use it does like not that. work together. Okay. I right. guessed right. You used it properly because I didn't even need to know what it meant for to understand what you're saying. Um, this okay, let's podcast talk... brought to you by the word <laughs> antithetical. Because <laughs> I know we don't talk about Red Bull a lot. Uh, can we just talk about their livery that they brought sure. to this? Because, oh my God, that was ugly. Well, it was fan created, so be careful. <laughs> we don't know oh, a five-year-old I'm... child might have designed it. Okay. <laughs> she doesn't listen to this podcast. It looked like then. it could have been. Yeah, you're right. Probably not. I don't know. What's our age demo? Hopefully not five-year-olds. I used a lot of other words earlier. It was horrible, um, though. <laughs> I'm sorry bad. if you were the fan that designed no, that, no. but like, it was please bad. don't, please stop there. Don't do another one. Just stop no. there. How do we you don't need feel to in general? This is a good question. How do you feel in general about the like one-off liveries? Because we've had a few of them this season, a few of them last year. Red Bull's pretty well known for doing that occasionally. But like, from your perspective, do you feel like a team should should sort of pick the livery and stick to it? Or is it okay to have these kind of like, I think know, it should be, I think it should, there should be a limit to it. There should be, cause well, you there want was. your fans for a wearing... long time. There were a lot of rules about it and they've kind of gotten a little bit more relaxed about it because I think there was some pushback. People wanted to like, I think some people really liked them, but, I, I, but you want your, you want your fans to be able to wear the same thing to represent your team. If you switch a car up every single time, then you're, you're, it's, you're not doing a service to your actual fan base. Some of them are really cool, though. Like Williams this year had a really awesome one. McLaren's always very good at uh, switching it up. And I do love when like Alpine does the throwback um, to like their BW, BWT days and everything like that. Like it's 
it is fun, but it it's one of those things where the more you do it, the less fun it gets. Sure. Makes sense. So we don't ever uh, do that one again. That one <laughs> Red Bull, don't ever do that one again. You know the most ugly one? Uh I don't know if you should Google this later, but there was a Red Bull car in the early days of Red Bull. Trust me, I've gone down the livery rabbit hole before. Uh the worst one is the uh, Red Bull did a cross promotion with uh Warner Brothers when they were promoting Superman Returns. This is in like God. like I want to say like 2011 maybe 2012 early Red Bull days prior to Vettel prior to World Championships. Google the Red Bull Superman car. It is in a museum, I believe in Scotland currently. Uh I think David Coulthard might have driven it. It is absolutely offensive how ugly this car is it looks like someone it's put like so... a decal on the side of it it's really bad it's really and bad they made the drivers wear the superman capes yeah, in the photo yeah. for it i know terrible you know cross what? promotion uh it is really bad but they've had worse ones too i think they did a star wars one once oh, which is equally as bad it just but again it, we're talking about it we are talking about a team that is literally sponsored by an energy drink the whole thing is a That's marketing true. like run amok that's very, 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 very true. Um, okay. But they, yeah. <laughs> We're off topic, but uh, yes, that's are. fine. Let's get back to it. Uh, we had, a, as I said, busy weekend. Let's talk about the race itself. So um, it was a good, it was actually a good race. In a lot of ways, we had a lot of the kind of things we've looked for this season as like the, the hallmarks of a, a high event race. There was lots of different elements to it. And for me, at least, you know, as again, I had a dog in the fight. I was excited to see how that was yeah. going to play out. It was exciting to see both Norris uh, leading at one point because obviously Max had to start further back. And it was also excited to sort of see the, the fight early with the, with the Ferraris and then how quickly the Ferraris fell off and like how I will say this, like, again, very, very frustrated with the result for Lewis in the end in terms of the disqualification, but it was a vintage Lewis Hamilton race and it was very, refreshing for a fan to see them back competing and it makes me feel optimistic about the next four races and equally what the future for mercedes is it feels like they're finally turning that corner we've already talked about how mclaren has clearly turned that corner and it's nice to see the three best teams there but this was the first week and it felt like both mclaren and mercedes actually had a shot it didn't feel like that the last couple of weeks it was like oh they're close but they don't really have a shot but for most of this race i was like i was optimistic a hundred percent so um, I watched the first five laps live um, because first happened started sixth. And yeah. so it was like, okay, well, usually that middle of the pack is when you might get like a bump or a ding or something. Um, and I wanted to see, I didn't want to have anything ruined for me. I was going to continue if Verstappen had got in a collision and was out for the race. I would have been like, okay, I'm watching this race live. Um, and I would have just turned all the football off. You, everyone, I think now I now knows I watch football all Sunday. Um, I would have turned that off and be like, we have a race that's not going to be Verstappen. This is my day today. You couldn't have had it on one of like, the, you have like seven televisions. Three TVs. No, I, there's a very specific Three Sunday TVs. thing going on over here in the living room. Three TVs in the living room, all football. But I did turn it over for five laps and then everybody got through clean. I was like, okay, I can save this for later. Um, because at that time I was like, I know Verstappen's going to win this race. It's just <laughs> one of those things. But very, 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 very happily surprised when and i wouldn't necessarily call this a high event high event race because there wasn't many collisions there wasn't it was this was all strategy I this whole race that, yeah. was strategy yeah um so it, 
and it was great because a lot of the guys were going, this is a one-stop race. And I think Leclerc did do it on a one stop, which is why he fell back so much yeah. at the end there. Yeah. Um, but you had Hamilton was going to do a one stop. That's why they made him go the extra four laps. Thought about it. Immediately yeah. pivoted. And as soon as he pivoted, well, not everybody Tyler, not immediately well, yeah. enough. And that was the problem is that they he ended up getting undercut because they were so committed to that one stop thinking it was going to be like no, i think that's what i mean it, but once yeah. they knew once they got then they had to they had to adjust, we have yeah. to go for a second pit and they once just they waited that, too long to do it he i think they waited too long to do the first pit i don't think the second one they waited too long no that's fair yeah um and then we saw that like hamilton had half a second was half a second faster than um verstappen and it's because he was on the mediums he did the hard stint and then he was on the mediums and he was come back he just needed two more laps which he would have had like he, this would have been his race to win which is the shitty thing that we should be talking about that we should have never had to talk about these disqualifications um, because yeah. this was it's re-energized the next four races. This this is now, instead of just like, you let it go, four, four races left, Verstappen's going to win them all, who cares? This reinvigorated the le- last four races in terms of excitement because maybe, maybe McLaren or Mercedes will win, let's say, Brazil. Mexico's next, then Brazil, I believe. Then we're back in Vegas and then Abu Dhabi, right? I think that's it. Yep. So one of those, like we could actually get somebody somebody else again. It's exciting. Totally. And it was, but you're right. Like it was it was a very exciting race because I think it was because of the strategy and people switching off the one stop to the two stop, um, just based off how the tires were going. And um, again, they don't have that extra practice la- or practice session. So they don't know what the tires are really going to do at temperature. Well, and obviously, uh, there was a, you know, a lot of, um, as you say, like a lot of unknowns um, for a lot of these teams in terms of how those tires are going to perform. Certain teams had very, I would, I would argue like very sort of strange tire selections, certainly for McLaren. I think they were on the back foot because they had chosen to go with the two mediums instead of an extra set of hards. And so they were really kind of like up against it. But what was interesting is when you have, like, it was the first time I would say the first time all season where Red Bull actually had to think strategically about what their strategy, how their strategy was going to be impacted by the decisions other teams are making the rest of this year. All they've had to do is execute their plan and their plan has worked. Nobody has really been able to even get close enough for them to be concerned. Two things impact that number one, as I said earlier, Mercedes and McLaren have taken huge steps forward and they have closed the gap. That is the first thing. The second thing, though, was that deleted lap time and the fact that Max had to start fifth changes all of it. Now you're competing with fast teams who actually get an advantage ahead of you to start with. You're in the chase position. And and we can talk about, like, Ferrari was kind of a non-factor in some sense. Like, they were always going to be the fourth team in this fight. But they're still between Max and where he has to get to. So their strategy yeah. still matters. And they have to, you know, he, they were actually having to, to sort of make those calculations and figure that out. And as he, again, you watch how it plays out. And it's like, I would argue it's the first time all year that they've also had to get, like, they've also had to have luck go their way because they are incredibly lucky that Lewis didn't stop too earlier and go yeah, into the second stint in a better 
with a with a shorter gap. As he said over the radio multiple times, you've given me way too big a gap. He already, he could see it. He yep. anticipated exactly how this was going to finish. And again, he closed that gap to, I think by the end of it, he was almost within two seconds of him. And another two laps, he probably would have closed because he had the tires and the advantage there. They had set it up in such a way they had the correct offset. They had all of those pieces there. Again, they just couldn't, you know, they just, he, he had to leave it too late. But from Max's side, I think that's the first race. And we knew Max was also struggling with the brakes at the end, which uh, I'm interested oh. to see what your thoughts on that were, whether that's ac- actually a problem or if that's just Max looking ahead. And I, I've often felt like Max Verstappen, when he feels under threat, often will find an interesting excuse Bingo. to uh, make sure that there's a hedge on whether or not he lost fair and square or if he was somewhat handicapped. Because we've seen that before where it's like, oh, no, 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 you know, the car was something was wrong with the car. And you're like, was it? Or were you just going to get beat? That's exactly what it was. Like his, as soon as he realized that he was under threat and that there wasn't a possible, like he wasn't nine seconds in gaining that race at the last half of that race. He was actually five seconds and Hamilton was getting faster lap times. So he was worried and he was giving it to his, um, his pit boss, just being like, stop talking to me in the breaking zone. Stop talking to me in the breaking zone. Stop talking to me in the breaking zone. It was so annoying. And again, I don't think that relationship is good anymore between those no, two. There was think, a radio right. call yeah. where um, at the end of the race, the I, I don't forget, I don't remember his name. JP, JP, JP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He uh, said, yeah. uh, "Verstappen wins the race." He says, "Well done. Enjoy the celebrations. I'll see you Friday." So is he not going to the celebrations anymore? Is he not want to see Verstappen for another week? Like why? And why say that over the radio? Because, like, is he going somewhere? What's he doing? There's that is a, yeah. it was, a, I caught it right away and I was like, that's a very strange thing to say. Yeah. Because you're supposed to be with that guy all the time. Yeah. And G- G- GP Lambiasi. Uh, G- yeah. Jean-Pierre Lambiasi. Very strange. And I think he's just fed up with like, because you're right. This was the first time that Verstappen's been under threat in a while and he couldn't deal with it. He's almost like he turns into Sunata, a little Dutch, yeah. Dutch Sunata. what do they say it's like that you're not really tested until you know you're under pressure or whatever and like you really the the true test of a person is kind of on display in their in their most vulnerable moments like that like yeah a situation where you know and, and look every single one of these drivers at some point i could find you a radio call where their frustration or their you know situation is has got the best of them most of these guys are some of the most clearly they're some of the most like uber competitive people on the planet and as a result every little detail matters and therefore every little detail is a a mountain not a molehill they are always the kitchen is always on fire until it's over yeah and then the minute it's over the cool heads prevail you know like you hear all race long lewis is complaining about that strategy call he's upset about how it's playing out and then the minute the race is over it's all praise for the team it's all praise for how well they made it all work because he also recognizes like well it's done now like there's nothing to be gained from being frustrated. That doesn't seem to yeah. always be the case though with Max is it's like oh. Max is a slow burner. He is constantly. And it, it feels like always the, the, the wounds and the, the, the anger that, that comes up just festers and it slowly yeah. gets worse and worse. We saw this last year with the clearly like holding grudges against his teammate for shit that had happened months earlier and yeah. in situations where it's like you are the world champion legitimately now and you had a fantastic year nobody got close to you and you're gonna hold on to that 
that's yeah. the thing that's the axe you want to grind really it's it's very that's odd weird. considering you've you've won you've won the championship already you're probably going to win this race but yes it's not going to be as comfortable as it usually is chill the fuck out yeah. like and and but and this is the thing that i think i think that's totally off topic but still radio i think lewis hamilton talks in code when he's on the radio i don't think he ever thinks or ever says the straight to the point thing i think he actually talks in code and they know that um and the only reason i say that is because we know that he's very very good at managing tires and what he wants to do on tires but it's always very vague so when they asked him can you do five more laps they asked both russell and hamilton can you do five more laps on this hamilton said not sure it's real tough russell said yep yeah <laughs> and i'm thinking i'm like i don't think he can I'm, or he knows that he can and he wants to do more so that he can get kind of further in the race and 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 do a one stop. Did you also um, catch did you also catch Mercedes little sort of faint there where they they had all their engineer or all their uh, mechanics run out to the garage and start taking tire blankets off to get Ferrari to pit a lap earlier than Ferrari wanted to because Ferrari is always in panic mode. If you it, they caught it on TV actually because they cut to it and Crofty acknowledged it. Oh, it looks like Mercedes is getting ready for a pit stop. And then as they came around, this is when Lewis actually took the, the lead for the first time. It whoever was ahead of him might have actually been Norris. Whoever was ahead of him blinked first, dove into the pits, and all of a sudden Lewis had the lead. And immediately the Mer the Mercedes team just sat back down. And it was like yeah. either the strategy was do the opposite so they were ready. But it looked a lot like they were making enough of an effort to get up there that somebody blinked and thought, oh, oh if they're going to do it, we better be ready, you know, because yeah. they were in the undercut position. And it's just it does show you the experience if that was the situation. And I believe it was. It just shows you like that's the kind of level that Mercedes is capable of playing at where they're already like they're they're not just running the race and running all the they're also running the fake plays and the trick plays and all of the little detail things that are really well-oiled team is capable of doing and it's like they haven't had the performance they haven't had the car but they still have like every trick in the book at their uh, beck and call this is an eight-time world championship team yeah. you know what i mean they know what they're doing um, which i love which is interesting i love that like get the crew involved get the the guys and gals back there to be like hey it's our turn to like fake somebody out oh, it's yeah, our turn exactly. to play a little mind and game. as you say i think the radio awesome. is a part of that too because we know that they've got guys monitoring every single radio line with oh, every yeah. single channel because immediately after after max's blow up about the you know stay off the radio while i'm in the corners you know there's a call to lewis being like hey his brakes are giving him some type of problem we don't know what it is yeah. but like hammer time let's go you can yeah. catch this guy and he and he almost did and you know I, the whole time there at the end i'm just like can we just please have our first like problem with this red bull car can he just yeah. do what he did in you know, in the sprint or whatever with when he, when he spun out, like, can we just have a mistake somewhere? Was that in the sprint or the shootout? I can't remember, but the, you know, like we just need a mistake. We just didn't, it, we just couldn't have it. Can we talk about Ferrari for a second though? Because on the same yeah. topic, like <laughs> most of last season, you and I just sat here and shook our heads about how like incompetent they were to be fair yeah. for most of the year, they have hidden that. Like, I'm not saying they've been better. They've just been better at hiding it. They were terrible this week in terms of the communication levels, the frustration, the, the miscommunication, why they're asking their drivers, whether they, which letter of the alphabet they'd like to do their strategy on. And the driver's first yeah. response is basically like, I have no fucking clue what's going on in this race. You got to tell me. And it's like, yeah, clearly there have been previous conversations where the drivers have been upset with decisions. And now you have the team afraid to make decisions to for the fear of upsetting your drivers. It's just a very unhealthy situation at this point i think but i think we talked about this maybe five or six races ago where 
a lot of this is now because of what happened and the confidence that both the drivers have in the team isn't necessarily there to make decisions. So they want to have that um, ability to choose their, their um, race strategy, but not the confidence to do it. So what they need is someone to be like, no, we're doing this unless you can convince me otherwise right now in the pit while you're driving is what they need. Um, but also like it, it was just strange that they chose the riskier strategy on their pole position car. That is the weird thing that happened with Ferrari. And, and I don't think Leclerc deserved that, but it might've been Leclerc at the beginning of the race being like, I want to do this strategy. So let's try to do this as much as possible unless the race changes. And then the Ferrari pit being like, well, we don't want to make him unhappy by changing his desire for that strategy. That's my fear about Ferrari is that both of them don't want to piss off the other side. So it's kind of just like, Pitt doesn't want to piss off Leclerc, so they're not going to do anything Leclerc doesn't want to do. But Leclerc needs to have the proper information to to also change his mind. And it's just, it's kind of all just broken right now. Yeah. And he's, Leclerc's like not doing well in the, in the, the driver's standing side of the signs is well ahead of him. Yeah. It's not even, uh, as we said, I think, I mean, I'd be buying sign stock if I was a Ferrari fan, because I feel like he's the better driver and he's got the bigger opportunity here to actually make something happen for this team. If they were focused more on building this car to his needs, I think he would pull even further away than what Leclerc is, but Leclerc has been there longer. Right. Yeah. But Perez is, or sorry, not Perez, uh, Sainz has shown the ability to make decisions and convince the team why that's the best way to do it. I haven't seen that at Leclerc. Fair enough. Let's um let's really quickly run down some of the other storylines around uh, this race because obviously we had some other drivers in it, not just the top five, but this was one of those races where the top five was actually dramatic and interesting well, for the first time all year. The <laughs> so only that's top, why we spent that time there. Only the top five got checked for the the bottom of their car, so, so maybe there was only five. Matter. Yeah, <sighs> ridiculous. <laughs> um, we got two we got two uh, top ten finishes from Williams cars. That was first a, points that was for Sergeant. That was a big one. Yeah. I, I mean, mind you, let's got just, it only because let's forget. Let's just completely but... forget about that for this conversation because okay, it's, okay, okay. it's going to be. But yeah, congratulations to Sergeant Albon, both on the top 10, both points. Um, Stroll got points that he's needed in a long time. He hasn't had points. So he got some of those. Gasly had a great day, fifth place. Um, it it was it was exciting. I feel bad for Ricardo. Yeah, that was tough. Yeah. Yeah, that was tough going to work his way back in being out for a couple races. Yeah. And I think, you know, the other part of that story that's frustrating, we didn't really talk about it last week. is like, we are, we are going to miss out on a very good driver. If Louis, if Liam Lawson doesn't get another opportunity here soon, because he's a very talented guy and the little taste we got here is incredibly appetizing. Like he's very yeah. good. And he, I, I would argue deserves a spot over several of the drivers we have right now. I agree. I agree. Based off the what we've seen of him, yes, I do agree. Uh, I just hope it's not one of those things where that actually happens and then he doesn't prove to warrant a spot. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I think again, we, you then say, we look like his... fools. Well, we usually look like fools, but but yeah, but that's because of our own stuff. Shouldn't, right, shouldn't not because of Liam Lawson. Yeah, we don't want him to make us look like a fool. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, let's hand out some hardware, Tyler. Uh, who do you have for driver of the day? Lewis Hamilton. I don't Thank care if you got disqualified. Lewis Hamilton is the driver of the day. You have to go, babe. You have to go based off the race you see. We saw a race. 
where Lewis Hamilton genuinely had a chance to win it. Um, Multiple different ways, actually. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, Lewis Hamilton for sure, driver of the day. Who is your not so driver of the day? Um, I don't want to give it to Ricardo because it's the first one back, but I'd say like Magnussen or Hulkenberg. Hulkenberg specifically, maybe because he did show promising signs leading up to the days before the Grand Prix. So kind of 11th place is not great for what what he should have. He should have been in the points. I'm not All right, what do you have three. for uh, overtake of the race? Overtake of the race. I have it written down. I have it written down. Uh, I got Hamilton on Norris on lap 49. Hamilton goes low. Norris covers late. Uh, Hamilton immediately on the brakes goes high. Cuts him under on the back half. It was a great turn. overtake. It was a great overtake. That was perfect, yeah. Um, what do you have for radio call the race? Radio call of the race. Um, when Hamilton's on the end of his first stint on the mediums, Radio call says Verstappen is now inside our pit window. No shit, man. I'm really struggling out here. Radio call of the race by That's far. Very good. Very it was good. great. All right. Uh, he, was, with... he wasn't hiding any codes. In no, that. no, there's no code in that one. That was pretty much. <laughs> yeah, no, very. Hey, football fans. The Ordinary Podcasting Network is very excited to welcome back for its second season. Running down the clock. Presented by Puya Ricey and Tyler Walzak. These two football fans will sit down with you every Thursday of the NFL schedule to talk football. You can subscribe to Running Down the Clock anywhere you get your podcast. It's time for mail. So similar to last week where our question actually tied into some of the things we're talking about. The question this week is actually related to where we're about to go in terms of uh, the Mexican Grand Prix. So I'm going to ask you this question, and then I'm going to let you take it from there right into your preview, if you'd like. It's a great segue. Okay. I don't know the what the que- question is. Yeah, Once upon a time, me- I used to get the questions. I know. Here's the question. No, no. It's more fun when you are in the dark. This is what our listeners need to know. Tyler and I have very different approaches to this show. I, I wing it. Tyler has meticulous notes. Pages like, of notes. And I, I, I just, I come in and I just try to tee them up as best I can. The question part is my, the only thing I actually control the outcome of. <laughs> so it's a little bit of fun. All right. The notes keep my, my level headedness there. So I don't get too hot. Yeah. See, for me, that's antithetical to, <laughs> no, anyway. All right. Um, the question is from Tina, new listener uh, or longtime listener, first time question, whatever the saying is sports radio. Her question is this, is it true that the Mexican Grand Prix drives through an old stadium? Oh, that's super easy. I know. Yes, it does. But I'd um, like you to give us some information about the stadium because she is a new Formula One viewer and I think is very fascinated by why they're um, I don't know the history of why they did Breaking it. Race tracks, though, on the circuit. Oh, sorry. You, uh, you did cut out there. Sorry. I, and I was because I started talking. I was just going to say, it is certainly one of the most striking racetracks on the circuit, you know, with the stadium section. Yeah. So it does go through a, uh, a stadium. The uh, return to Mexico's, the race is called Autodrome, Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez Circuit. Um, the name of the, I'm trying to find the name. The see, I would have had Foro all this Sol. stuff. Forosol. Foro Sol. I would have had it's all a, this stuff. You're giving me the question. I know, I know, I know. I would have it told was, you all it, this stuff. It was built in 1993. Uh inside the circuit and it was it it, 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 it was a formerly a baseball stadium now yeah, it is just old, part of this racetrack old baseball stadium 
Um, but this sits standing now. The baseball part's done. Um, and it's the it is the best place. To, it's very expensive to sit in the Foro Solo Foro Soul. Um, but you get to see into like the cockpits of the drivers. You actually get to look down right on top, yeah. from high above instead of usually the grandstands, which probably go, I don't know, I want to say like 20, 30 rows. Sure. This is a, this, an actual stadium. Um, I think there's two turns in the stadium, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, is, it, is it a chicane? I don't know if it's a It's chicane. sort of. It's like, yeah, you kind of come in right turn into a tight left hairpin that slows the cars right down. Nice for viewing. And then there's like a slight right turn straight away through the backside of the stadium. And then there's a tight 90 degree turn on the backside of the stadium behind those seating. Yes. Yeah, and it is allowed. I have is... played Formula One on the Xbox. Yes, I have studied this track. <laughs> Uh, it is loud there too. They say that this is one of the best viewing areas for any of the circuits, um, on the whole, in the whole season. Um, it, it, I mean, it's one of the places I'd want to go to first. Like if we had so. to, ever had a question about like, where cool. it goes, like, I would love to sit in there. And apparently the fans are amazing. It's kind of like a party atmosphere. Okay. That's a good question. That's a great question. What are your top three? What are the top three circuits in, 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 in formula one that you would want to, to actually attend to actually attend? I would want to go Monza. Um, the Mexican Grand Prix. The third one's tough because you don't want to say like uh, Silverstone, probably. I'd say those three. What about you? Yeah, so for me, it's definitely Silverstone because I think that would be fantastic. I actually would like to see a race at Austin. I know the track isn't great, but I think that there are some great viewing spots there. I think there's some really cool grandstands. And I yeah. know that like the experience in Austin is is top notch. Like there's always a concert. There's always like a whole week. The whole weekend is a festival. It's a big party. And it's, you know, like Austin's one of the sort of arts capitals of North America. Like there's awesome stuff that would come around it. So those two for sure. And then I think for me, the hardware, like it's easy to say Monza too, because I agree. It's like one of my favorite races, but I don't actually think that I would enjoy watching a race there only because I don't, I don't know, like uh, the way I've seen that circuit just doesn't feel like you'd get much out of it. Like you right. get one corner or something like where Silverstone and stuff, you can kind of, there's a couple different grandstands. You've got some different angles and stuff for me. I think I might have to go with like, I don't know, like spa maybe. And like one of those kind of unique corners or something might be kind of interesting. I'd even say honestly, and this isn't just like the Homer pick. I think it'd be cool to sit at like the corner champions at Montreal. Yeah, I mean, it, there's those things that are kind of uh, nostalgic-ish, I guess, that you want. Like, I'd like to go to Monaco just for the weekend to see the boats, to see the environment around Monaco. But I know the race isn't going to be great. Yeah, that's fair. But yeah, like a famous turn, you'd want, you could spend a day doing that there. Like, I feel like it'd be awesome if you could have, like, if you went to Montreal, you could sit there for a bit. But then you could also go, like, to different areas, different yeah, spots. Cool. Yeah, like kind of like if you're watching golf or something, you can walk around with a certain person, or you could just kind of hang out at whatever hole you want. Yeah, um, that's a good yeah, question. Yeah, I hope that I hope that answers uh, Tina's question, though. I think I think so. So let's let's continue on that line though, and set us up for the Mexican Grand Prix. Perfect. I'm prepared for this part. Mexican yeah. Grand Prix first GP was 1963. There is 71 laps, 17 turns, two DRS zones. The first detection zone. Um, or the detection zone for the first DRS is between turns nine and 10. Uh, the DRS is on stretch between turns 11, 12. Um, now I do have a bone to pick with this track because between turns 11 and 12, there's another turn that's just not numbered. Um, not cool. Very not cool. I don't know why this is the only track that has that happening. Um, anyways, second detection zone for DRS is after turn 14. 
three turns later, you get to the start finish stretch. And that is where the DRS is able to be used. Um, this track sits over two kilometers above sea level. It does run through that old baseball stadium, which we just found out was named Foro Sol. Um, so very, very cool. Flawless, the, flawless Spanish for both of us. Front, the, the front left tires degrade very quickly on this track. Um, so drivers will be managing those throughout Sunday's race. That being said, last year, this was, this was only a one stopper with a 2022 podium of Verstappen, Hamilton, Perez. We had two DNFs, Sunata and Alonso. Um, I expect Mercedes to be very good here next weekend. Yeah. And uh, if you recall, uh, the last couple of races, the last couple of years have been where Mercedes has definitely turned it on in 2021 before the disaster. Uh, uh, the last couple of races were all about Lewis Hamilton closing that gap and finally catching him and getting that tie set up. And Mexico was one of the best circuits, Brazil, the other one, obviously the way um, very, exactly. very excited. Yeah. Um, but yes, this is a circuit that I think could favor both McLaren's upgrades and Mercedes upgrades, which would be nice if we can keep that fight to Red Bull. Cause there's nothing else really to fight for here at this point. Um, yeah. But Lewis has a second place to fight for. And now it's even a little bit, there's even a bit more incentive there, obviously. So that that's the rest exciting. of the season, right? Like that's the rest 100%. of the score is, is Hamilton versus Perez. That's well, what I've everyone said it multiple times. To. I've already said it. Like, I, why is Max not on a yacht, like in the mall that yeah. leaves or something like go home. I would rather see Liam to. Lawson in that Red Bull. There you the go. Next four races than Verstappen. Ooh, that'd be fun. That'd be way better. What is Verstappen? I don't, nobody cares anymore. He's yeah. won it. It's yeah. over. Yeah, let's, 100%. let's go home. get some parody here. Go home. Mercy rule. Yeah. All right. Well, that's that. Um, oh, I'm going to amend one thing. I, I said Spa. I could switch Spa for Suzuka. Suzuka is the other one I think would be really, really cool because I know that the Japanese are absolutely insane when it comes to Formula One. They just, they're just they so excited. I think the atmosphere would be amazing, and the grandstands on the home stretch at Suzuka are like also right up on top. I think it would look really cool. Uh, the the stretch in Brazil, too, would be amazing, especially if Lewis Hamilton won that race. You know how fun that would be to be there? That would be good. That would be good. So yeah, the top three. I hate when people make me do top threes because there's like eight that I'd like def, def, definitely. But then you just have to be able to. to rank them. It's not. I'm not going to hold you to it. You can you to, never I, go a week to, to the Hungar ring now. You can't go because it's not your top three. You're not allowed. Give me a, give and me go to a week Melbourne. to prep that, and I'll rank yeah. them in a week. All right, that's our show for uh, this week. Thank you for listening. And as uh, as we said, we'll be back after the Mexican Grand Prix. Until then. Um, I don't know what I'm supposed to say here at the end. Usually so, I've got... I think you used to say, hey, keep it on the road. Yeah, do that. You do that. That's your thing. No, no, I'm saying do that. Keep it on the road. Do it. Oh, yeah. All right, everybody keep it on the road. There, now you yeah. got me doing it. There you go. I made you say it. <laughs>
as well as the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit, whose footsteps have marked these lands for generations. And we extend our appreciation for the opportunity to live, create, and share stories on these territories. The Ordinary Podcasting Network intends to engage in conversations and dialogue, which acknowledge that reconciliation is not a destination, but a journey, and that we remain committed to practicing our craft in a decolonized space.